We have been on a journey for the past uh, several weeks and since the uh, new year, trying to get us into new rhythms. And again, I know we all have New Year's resolutions and we're not going to take a survey to see how many of those have already flopped and failed. But but really, I want to emphasize that it's not going to be a New Year's resolution. It's not going to be turning over a new leaf. It's not going to be that that's going to see the, the, the change that needs to happen in all of our lives, in particular areas. It's going to be more or less getting into a new rhythm and changing and seeing that rhythm changed inside of us to where we are, we're moving to a different beat of a different drum. Now, let me, let me give you an example of one of those things in our life that's in our society today. It's a pretty popular thing. You may have one. You may be wearing one right now. Um, they, uh, the most pop, one of the most popular gifts at Christmas time the past two years. It's these wearable devices, okay? These, uh, these activity trackers. If you got one, raise your hand, okay? You got one of these, okay? Measures your steps, measures your calories. Oh, excuse me, doesn't measure calories. Calories. It measures your uh, uh, your 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 heartbeat. It, it, Mary, it, it measures a lot of these little different things that that that, that kind of keep track. And it's interesting that a, a study was done by the Journal of American Medical Association, asking this question. Over two years, they asked this question, do wearing these trackers, do, do, they, do they actually make us move? Because they're supposed to make you move, okay? My watch tells me every hour if I've been sitting down, I need to stand up, okay? Uh, I don't know if that, I actually turned that sucker off. I got tired of hearing it. But, um, you, know, you, you know, you can turn them off or you can ignore them or, or things like that. You get those little features and, and they're supposed to make you move. But do they make us move? Because if they make them smooth, then we're supposed to burn more calories, right? Uh, and I always think it's funny whenever I see somebody, you know, talking about how many numbers of steps that they walked as they're drinking their 32-ounce Coke. Uh, you know, it doesn't measure your intake. It only measures your out, okay? So uh, keep that in mind, okay? It only works one way. But uh, there was uh, 31 million Americans uh, uh, Ask, they, they looked across the, the nation, and 31 million Americans evidently are wearing these devices nowadays. It's a $7 billion a year, billion dollar a year industry. So it's, it's kind of taken over its, uh, its, its own life. And so this, this study was done and was asking, do Americans move more because they have these devices? And I think it's a perfect picture of our well-intended selves desiring change, wanting to see change, wanting to see a different us, but yet the reality was they came back after two years of studying and the answer was a big fat no. Uh, no, we don't move more. We don't change. If we don't change our rhythms, we won't change our lives. Let me give you a couple other examples. You can give out Bibles for free to everyone. You can give out Bibles to people across America, across our land, and will they read the Bible because they have a Bible? The answer to that is absolutely not. In fact, you can get a Bible for free right now if you don't have one just by going to your app store and downloading the YouVersion app. One most incredible has reading plans. It will it'll set you up. You only have to wonder what I'm going to read tomorrow. You can pick out what translation. Hey, if you don't like to read, you can just tell uh, click that little button at the bottom and it will read to you. There is no excuse for us not to read the Bible. We have Bibles accessible to us in the Western world, but we don't read the Bible. All studies say so we're reading the Bible less and less today. Again, unless we get into a new, new rhythm. A new marriage. Listen, make it real personal here. A new marriage will not fix your discontented heart of, over the current marriage. You know, if you're unhappy now, you'll be unhappy later. It's just a matter of time. 
You know, a new marriage won't fix your current dissatisfaction. A new job, you could change companies and you could sell this product to Walmart and come over here and sell this product to Walmart. And you may like it for a little bit. You go through a honeymoon stage and then all of a sudden you realize that you're not liking it anymore. Again, all, all these things that we try to do to fix our lives. And I want to say, no, 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 stop it. Let's figure out what is the correct beat of the drum that we need to step to. And we may need to leave this dance and go over to another entire different building and dance to a different beat of a different drum if we're going to see change. We've been talking about these rhythms since the first of the year. So just a quick review because we're kind of getting ready to land the plane on this series. But we've talked about how we need to go more and stay less. We've kind of, uh, kind of taken the, 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 the mentality that, you know, I'll go on a vacation, but I certainly won't go uh, serve internationally. And, I, and, I, and we've said this before, if you don't have your passport, then really do you believe in the Great Commission? And so we, you heard a challenge from, uh, from uh, Todd Aaron, the very first uh, Sunday of the series. I just challenge you to go back and re-listen to that and ask yourself the question, am I willing to, 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 to go? Because most people, most people are like this. They're, they're planning to stay, but they say they're willing to go. I'm planning to stay, but I'm willing to go. I want to reverse that. How about let's be willing to stay, but planning to go? Until the door shuts, until we absolutely cannot go, then let's plan on going. Worry less and pray more. That's one of those things that, again, this is just a rhythm in life because a natural, the big, hairy, nasty thing in your life, sometimes we can do something about it and sometimes we can't do anything about it. And so what are we going to do with this anxiety, this worry, this fear that's coming at us? And what we talked about is really trying to learn how to give that anxiety over to, to God, to give that anxious thought over to God, to cast your cares, we talked about Peter saying, cast your anxieties on the Lord because he cares for you. And that whole idea of casting your anxieties is literally giving him the responsibility, giving the responsibility for your situation over to God. Man, you talk about freeing up some shoulders, taking some weight off whenever you realize that, hey, it's not my responsibility. I've given that to God. And guess what? You'll have to do it again tomorrow and you'll have to do it again the next day. But you're going to learn to pray more and worry less, hate less and love more. Boy, does our society need this. The hate meters climbing at exponential speed. And I, I, I'm sorry to say, I don't care if you're Democrat, Republican, uh, the, neither party is going to fix this. Uh, I, the judicial branch, the, the executive branch, uh, you know, Congress, they're not going to fix this. If we're going to see an increase of love in our society and embracing one another in our society, I'm afraid it's going to be the church. It's going to be us at grassroots level going back into our communities, back into our societies, and learning how to love well. I whole message on that. Isolate less. I don't care what, I, uh, what White Snake says, okay? You're not born to walk alone. And if you weren't here for White Snake, man, you missed a good concert. We had it. Uh, no, not really. But I mean, we had White Snake uh, song here. And you weren't born to walk alone. You were born to walk in community. And how well are you living in community with one another and connecting with other people? Rush less and wait more. That's last week's. Just learning... <sighs> to calculate every breath and value every breath and learning how to trust God with every breath and every situation of my life and then watching him, because this world's going to wear you out and beat you down. You're going to leave anxious and tired and exhausted. But those, the very next words, but those who wait on the Lord, 
They will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not get weary. They will walk and not faint. Those who wait on the Lord. So that's a whole, whole message in itself. Now, next week, uh, we're actually going to have some guest speakers in. It's called the Refine Us Marriage uh, Conference. And we've been planning for over a year for them to come in. And we're looking forward to Justin and Trisha coming and sharing their story. And it's going to be kind of the capstone on the series. So Todd kicked it off. Uh, the Davises are going to kind of wrap it up. And really the, the rhythm here is this, to take for granted less and honor and cherish more. And now you're not married or you are married or you want to be married or you're going to be married or you're, you, you're on the backside of a marriage or you, whatever the case is, most of us in this room have the idea, the dream someday that we'll have a honoring and cherishing marriage. In fact, most people come to the altar saying, I will honor and I will cherish. But somehow something happens, a time and energy and familiarity and, and complacency, something slips into the water into the well of the marriage, and all of a sudden, then you start taking it for granted. And then all of a sudden, it falls apart. And what was once an honor and cherish before God till death do us part becomes, take it or leave it, I've fallen out of love, and I'm going to go somewhere else. We don't want that. Rhythms of our life. We're going to have to make sure we're on the right rhythm in our life. Now, here's, here's the cool thing. It's like five bucks a person. And the only reason we're able to do five bucks a person, not 45, what it would normally cost, is because of your giving to Grace Point. And so thank you for, for that because you're able. Now, we're leveling the playing field that anybody and everybody can come to this. And so we just want to give you a little bit of a insight into a little bit of some testimonials about those who've gone through Refine Us, a marriage. And so watch this video real quickly. Hey, guys, we're Justin and Trisha Davis, and we're really excited to be bringing you the Refine Us tour. My prayer was always that, you know, Lord, I would be running and that I would look over one day and there would be somebody who would be like running with me. F figure out if you could live with this person, kind of, you know, overall conventional wisdom. And my dad said the opposite to me. He said, figure out if you could live without this girl. And at some point I figured that I could not live my life without Natalie. Ten bucks to get rings. We each got a five dollar ring from the five and dime. That was it. That's all we needed, I guess. He leaves the toilet seat up, you know, he, and I haven't really brought that I up. I try to put it down. You do, but you don't really okay. do it. Well, the first fight we had was the first moment we met. He slammed on his brakes and yelled, what are you trying to do, get killed? And I said, what's it to you, buddy? Find another road. If you don't learn on the front end that it actually does take work and a commitment and a discipline, when the difficulties come, you're blindsided. We've learned a lot from couples like that that have said, hey, you know what? This is our story. This is, this is how we got to where we were. But this is also how the Lord you know, brought it back. And so I feel like there's a lot of tools in the, this is how the Lord brought it back. So being willing to do the hard work of love is really important. Being willing to do the hard work of love. Next week, I hope you'll take right now, take out your phones and, and sign up for it. Refine Us Marriage, you'll find it in our events uh, section on the app and plan on being a part of that. Now, next Sunday, they'll be here sharing. And then Sunday night is really that the part you're signing up for. So they're going to be here and, and sharing in Sunday morning and then a full seminar on, on, on Sunday evening. Let's talk about rhythm number six, though, before we go to number seven. That's next week. Number six, rhythm is this. It's not, and listen, let me say that. All the rhythms we've talked about, they're countercultural. 
Worrying is very natural. It comes natural. Isolation is what you do when you've been wounded. You pull back, you pull away, you build walls. That's natural. Everything that we're talking about, we're talking about doing something in an unnatural manner. What I'm about to share with you is extremely unnatural. In fact, I've saved it for the last because I think it's probably the hardest message to share. So please give me grace and listen all the way through instead of shutting me down as soon as you hear this rhythm. Here's the rhythm, that we will consume less and that we would give more. See, the problem is is we live in a society where we consume, 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 and we can't consume enough. And we consume sometimes for even the wrong reasons. I'm not just talking about food. I'm talking about things. I'm not buying. I'm talking about credit. I'm talking about, we, we, I heard it said like this. We buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. Go figure that one. It's really how we live. And so what, who are, what are we living for? We're, we're living for that, that approval. That's why we buy things we don't have uh, with money. We don't have impressed people we don't like. We want that, that person at school, that person at work. We want to be admired. We want to be liked. We want people to do ooh and awe over us and, or, or whatever the reason may be. But we get caught into this, this vortex that's this pulling us away to consumerism, of pulling us into more and more in a bigger house and a bigger, faster car and a faster computer and more toys and trinkets. And I am a sucker if anybody is a sucker for this. But what is really sad, though, is it is so prevalent in our marriages today that the world outside, and some of you live and work in this world and probably will have know what I'm about to share, you will validate it. But the world can predict when your divorce is about to happen, if that were to happen. You've heard of uh, Marissa Mayer, Yahoo's CEO, former Google vice president. While at Google, she made this statement that a study was done at credit card companies can predict within 98% accuracy in two years in advance when a couple is going to divorce based on the couple's spending patterns. Think about that. You think you're being watched by Big Brother? Big Brother's watching you to predict whenever you might be dissolving your own marriage two years prior to you ever dissolving your marriage. Again, we live in a consumeristic culture that is consume, 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 and that's the rhythm of our culture. And if we are not careful, we will find ourselves consuming and greedy and longing and wanting and and spending and indebtedness, and the cycle never ends, and you have to have more before to feed the monster. And we're the only culture, and if I take you to Africa, and I was to explain this to some Africans, they they would not understand it, but this is true of America. This is how messed up we are, we actually spend more than we make every year. Like a dollar seven, we'll spend to every dollar we make. How does that, how does that work? How, 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 what economy does that work in? What math are we training ourselves with here? So here, let me give you a new math, okay? Here's a new math. Think about it like this. What if we understood that contentment plus generosity would be greater than consumerism plus greed? If that was the mathematical equation that we lived off of and we we took that as a hypothesis that, listen, if I could learn contentment and if I could learn to practice generosity, that actually that would be a greater mathematical equation to live by than the consumeristic, greed-hungry culture in which we live. 
All right? Now, I want to I I back this up with some biblical basis for this. But just kind of, again, realize we're living in this discontented rhythm. We've got to have more. We can't have enough. I, I saw this on Stacey Ash's um, uh, Instagram last night, this little uh, cartoon. Uh, throw it up there, guys, if you don't mind. And this is basically how we look. We're running after, we're chasing after, we get more money, we get more money, and then we get to the end of our life and we have money. And you know how much you leave behind? Every bit of it. Here's what contentment is. That we would be learning to be okay with what we have. Just saying, okay, thank you, Jesus, for what I have. Thank you. Discontentment, Andy Stanley said, says, I am never satisfied with what I have because I know what I have or I know what you have and I know what there is to have. And that's why you in marketing spend thousands and billions of dollars and we see thousands of ads every day telling us what you can have and then we see what other people have so therefore I'm discontented until I have it. And this is the rhythm we live in. And we've got to wake ourselves up to this and jar ourselves to reality to somehow pull back on the reins and to learn, as I said, that's the definition, to learn contentment. This is exactly what Paul had to learn. Now, I'm saying this because Paul is kind of the key figure that we're going to key in off of today. But he said this in the book of Philippians, I have learned in whatsoever state I am to be content. It's a learned. It's not a spiritual discipline. It's not a, a spiritual gift. It's not, well... I have the gift of contentment, but my wife doesn't. Okay? No. We all can learn it. Or my husband doesn't. Listen, it works both ways. I have learned to be content. I've learned to push back from the table. I've learned to put the credit card back in the wallet. I've learned to cut up the credit card. I've learned to not pile credit cards on top of credit cards to pay for the other credit cards that I need to pay for. I have learned to drive my car another 50,000 miles because I don't have to have a new car. I have learned to be content. I've learned to pull back and to say enough. Second word is generosity. Contentment plus generosity, I want to say, is the best mathematical equation. Now, generosity is when I practice finding joy in consistent, budgeted generosity. Consistent, that means it's ongoing. It's not just a one-off. It's budgeted. I literally build it into my life, and it's generous. Whatever generous looks like, whatever God lays on your heart, whatever that may mean, then that's what I'm going to live by, okay? That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to learn to be generous with what God has given me. So here's the, here, again, the new math is this. Contentment is a learned attitude. You learn, you have this attitude, you develop this attitude, you nurture this attitude, you help your kids nurture this attitude, we help your family nurture this attitude. Contentment, you know what? We're okay, that vacation was good enough. Okay, we don't have to buy that. Contentment is learned. Plus, you take generosity and add that into the mix of discipline, practice. What do you have? This is, this is my math. This is new math. Maybe totally new to some of you, but I think you're going to have joy and satisfaction. You're going to have joy and satisfaction. Let me say, say why? Because you're going to have quit chasing Fifth Avenue. Or Madison Avenue. You're going to have pulled back and you're going to be able to sleep at night because now the creditors are not going to call you as much. 
You're going to have stopped rolling over debt on top of debt and getting that second mortgage and figuring out how you're going to now pay for the second mortgage. Do you go get a third mortgage and do you go get another job? And how do I extend so I can buy? And hey, listen, after all, you've worked hard. You need, you need to reward yourself. All of a sudden, it's, it's, the dog, it's the tail wagging the dog. What we need to do is need to back up, learn contentment as an attitude, or generosity as a discipline, and then we're going to find joy. Then we're going to find satisfaction. Take your Bibles and find the book of Acts chapter 20. Don't take my word for it. Take Jesus' word for it. You might think, hey, Jesus wasn't around when the book of Acts was written. That's right. Paul is quoting Jesus in the verse we're going to look at. We're going to look at a beatitude. Now, whenever I say beatitude, that's an attitude that ought to be, okay? Think about it like that. Jesus used beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. Every time he gave a beatitude, it was an attitude that ought to be in every one of his believers, And a lot of those attitudes that ought to be are really almost paradoxes. They don't seem like they go together. But when you live them out and you find that this world has been selling you a bill of goods and that the paradox actually does work and does live out, then that's when you're starting to really step into the full stride of Christian faith. Okay, context is is that Paul has just spent three years with uh, the church of Ephesus, actually not right then exactly, but he's been with them for three years. Now he's on a journey to Jerusalem. He's trying to get there before Pentecost. And so he's hitting some places really quickly. And all kinds of stories that happen and unfold in chapter 20, it's really worth it. A guy falls asleep, falls out of the window, dies. He goes and resurrects him. It's a cool story. Uh, People fall asleep in my messages all the time. Please don't fall down. I don't know that I can do that. Uh, So he, 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 this is what happens in chapter 20. He comes and he gets all the church leaders from Ephesus. He'd spent three years there longer than any other place that he had ever spent. Like he spent three, year, three months at, I think, Thessalonica and, and, and uh, you know, weeks and months and days in other places, but three years in Ephesus, really pouring into them. He calls them away to a retreat, not at Ephesus, at Miletus. Calls him away and he sits down with him. He says, listen, guys, I'm not going to be coming back. I'm on my way to Jerusalem. I'm going to, I'm going to, be, I'm going to be going to jail, actually, for being a Christian. So hey, just get ready for that. But I don't know that I'm going to ever be back again. And literally, they end the chapter and they're just weeping in each other's arms. But you come to this passage and where he ends it, he ends it, the very last words he says in his challenge to them was the words of Jesus when he gives them this beatitude. So that's the context of it. Now let's begin reading in verse 32. And now I commend you. I'm catching up at the very end of his, his challenge to these elders. He says, now I commend you to God. He said, I'm not going to be with you anymore. Now you're God's, okay? I'm giving you over to God. And to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance. All about inheritances, right? Among all those who are sanctified. I've coveted. No one's. This is his own personal testimony. I've coveted no one's silver, gold, or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered. I did what was necessary for me and for those who were with me. I didn't ask anything of you, uh, Ephesus, to take care of my needs. I, my own hands, did with it what I needed to do to provide for myself. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, We must help the weak and remember the words of Jesus Christ, how he himself said, and here's the beatitude, the attitude that ought to be, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now you go home and you tell that to your eight-year-old child who's fighting over a toy with your six-year-old child, hey, it's more blessed to give than receive, and they're going to look at you like you're an idiot. 
Because I can remember as a kid growing up thinking, hearing that verse taught, you know, more blessed to give and receive. What were you smoking on that one, Paul? You know, because there's no way that that's true. Somehow, if you really get into it and you live out the Beatitudes, the attitudes that ought to be, you will find that actually there is tremendous truth and a density of life and a joy and a satisfaction in life that you don't get by collecting and doing and consuming. And he's really challenging him to live this out. Now, let me forewarn you, if you go do your Bible study, find where did he say this in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you're not going to find it. He doesn't say it in any of those passages. For some people, that causes a little bit of a trouble because, okay, Matthew didn't say it, Mark didn't say it, Luke didn't say it, John didn't say it. Well, 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 how do we know that Jesus said that? Well, see, the reality is, is that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Matthew, Matthew, Mark, and Luke were all kind of written kind of along the same lines, kind of on the backbone of Mark, and, and they're kind of synoptic gospels is what they call them, and, and they're kind of all woven together, and they kind of feed off of each other, written to different audiences. Now, that's the shortest way I can say that. John decade or so later, he writes his gospel account. He's heard, he's read, he's, he knows about the other gospel accounts, but he says, listen, there's so much more. You have, you, you've covered a lot, guys. Good job. Hats off to you. But hey, there's a lot more. So he writes the gospel of John. Doesn't contradict anything in Matthew or Mark or Luke. He just adds more to it. After all, he was the closest of Jesus' disciples. He had more stories to tell than, than Matthew, Mark, or Luke told. And so here, let me, let me, uh, let me get some uh, more stories in there. But even in John's 21 chapters... The very last words of John, I think it's so interesting. He says this, Now there are also many other things that Jesus did where every one of them, had they been written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Basically, there's so much more out there that has been said and done, Jesus did and said, that we can't put them all into a book. And this is what I believe, that what Paul was quoting from was a statement that Jesus truly made. It's not in the Gospels, but it was truly made. It was truly an accepted statement. It's an attitude that we should have. But how do you get there? How do we get this, this attitude? And what's this attitude again? It's more blessed to give than to receive. And by the way, that word blessed in other translations is translated happy. So what did I say the equation was? Contentment and generosity, if you do those together, you bring them together, you'll have greater joy and fulfillment in your life. You'll have greater joy and satisfaction in your life. What does he say here? That's more happy, that you'll be more happy if you will learn to give rather than just to receive. That's the, that's the thesis of this entire talk today. And then what is it going to take for us to find joy in generosity. Joy and satisfaction in generosity. Think about it. Hudson Taylor said it like this, the less I spent on myself, he was a missionary to China for a number of years, and the more I gave to others, the fuller of happiness and blessing did my soul become. What is it going to take to find joy in generosity? Jot three things down, three moves that you make in your life that will move you from the begrudging giver to the joyous, generous one. Number one is we're going to have to replace the coveting heart for a content spirit. That's why these go together. If you remember when Paul was writing, when, when Paul was talking to them, he said, listen, I didn't covet no one's silver, no one's gold, no one's apparel. I didn't want your clothes, your designer wardrobes, your, your fancy sandals or anything like that. Listen, I took care of my own needs. Even though 
as a minister of the gospel. He gives us clear account in Scripture in 1 Corinthians 9.14 where we who, who present the gospel are free to receive their earnings from the gospel, yet Paul said, I did not. He did not with the church of Ephesus. He did not with the church of Corinth. He did not with the church of Thessalonica. He did not. He said, listen, I took care of my own needs. I didn't covet what you could give me. There was a contentedness about him. There was a freedom about him that he was able to be content. Now, I'll say this. What did I say earlier? Paul said, I learned to be content. How do I learn to be content? I think there's a couple things that need to happen, some, a couple things that need to be in place if I'm going to learn contentment. Number one, i got to desire it, okay? If you're right now just saying, Mike, you are the one smoking, okay, if you're believing this, you're the one messed up. There's no way, man. I enjoy my stuff. I can't get enough stuff, and I, I'm, when I leave here, I'm going to, in fact, I'm on my phone right now buying something while you're talking, and if that's you, shame on you, all right? Take their phone away from kids. Uh, but the desire to be content. Some don't even desire contentment. Don't do, they, they want more. They can't get enough. But the, here's, the, here's the catch. Eventually, most people, if you're common like me, white collar like me, you're going to get to the end of yourself after so many credit cards, after so many mortgages, after so much indebtedness. You're going to get to the end of yourself and say, man, why can't I get to that level of joy and satisfaction? Just like the wealthiest people who've ever walked the planet will tell you, it's not found in the almighty dollar. Look at Vanderbilt and Rockefeller and Carnegie and Ford, what they have to say. Rockefeller said, I have made many millions, but they have brought me no happiness. Andrew Carnegie spent a lot of his life acquiring wealth and spent the last half of his life giving it away because he realized that millionaires don't smile. Money will not get you there. I'd like to try. Listen, they've tried Paul's talked about people trying. Jesus talked about people trying and ending up living their lives in utter misery. You've got to desire contentment. Number two, you need a perspective of contentment. We need to learn to look at our lives and say, we are blessed. I can remember one time walking. Actually, we were going to church in, outside of Livingston, Zambia, where we lived, on a compound church about, I don't know, five miles from our house. Lori was pregnant with Joshua. We went there. We got there, and we got there, and she was not feeling really well, feeling the morning sickness coming on. I said, you take the car, go back, and, and, uh, and I'll walk back. I'll get one of the nationals, and we'll walk back together. So that was the plan. I had my water. I had my hat. I had my sunglasses. That's what you do. You, you, you don't go anywhere without that in, in Africa because it can get really hot really quick. And so church ended. It's midday, high at noon, and it's hot. But we're going to walk back. So I start get my brother, and we start walking back, and we're talking, and we're just going on just fine. I start losing my breath a little bit. I'm young and fry, but I think I can handle this now. And so I've got my water, and I start running out of water. And, and my feet start hurting. And his brother's with me, and I said, man, this is about the last mile of the five-mile hike because well, where we were, I didn't take the calculation, elevations. We lived in the highest port, part of Livingston up on a plateau, but we were at a church in Maramba by the Maramba River in the lowest part of Livingston. And so we were walking in the midday sun to my home. And it was 
pretty difficult. And I had on Sunday go to meeting shoes, okay? You know what Sunday go to meeting shoes are. But the nice shoes. They're the uncomfortable shoes, but they look good. Um, and so I, I had those shoes on. I'm literally walking up the hill, and I go, man, I wore the wrong shoes. He says, you wore the wrong shoes. What do you mean? He looked at my feet, and I said, well, you know, I've got hiking shoes, and I've got walking shoes, and I've got running shoes, and I've got basketball shoes, and I've got Sunday go church shoes, and these are my Sunday go to church shoes. And he looked at his feet, and he said, I, this is all the shoes I've got. I said, oh, okay, I get it. All the shoes he's got, and I'm complaining over my shoes. See, sometimes you need something in your life that will jar you. It'll help bring perspective. You know what? Everyone in this room, I'm going to just make a blanket statement, is filthy, filthy rich. I want, I want to show you. I know Randy showed you, mentioned this a few weeks ago. I want to bring it up, and I want to show you this, this website. You can go to it, Global Rich List, just in the days you're feeling poor and, and broke and all that kind of stuff, and just look yourself up, and you can find exactly where you stand in society, okay? What you do is you choose what country you're in, okay? It's pretty easy. And let's just do this it's for giggles, okay? I asked a teacher this past week, what do teachers make? What does a starting teacher make uh, uh, in, in, in the Bentonville School District? And again, it varies, I know. I know there's some, some variation in there, but let's just throw a number at $30,000, okay? I don't know if that's what you make or not make, but let's just say that, uh, that that's what you make. And maybe you make north of that or whatever, but let's just see where you rank in t- society as far as w- the wealthiest on earth. You are in the top 1.23% of the richest people in the world by income. You rank seven, I'll let you read all those numbers, millionth of them. You're filthy rich, right? When you look at it from a global perspective. Sometimes we need perspective to learn contentment. Enough is enough. Number two, discover joy through generosity. I like the way the message puts it. You're far happier giving than receiving. Evie Pierce called this the supreme of the Beatitudes. You read Matthew chapter 5, you'll read the Beatitudes of Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are humble. Blessed, and he goes through this. You're going to be happy if you're poor in spirit, if you're humble, if you're, if you're mourning. You're also going to be happy and blessed if you learn the art of generosity, the art of giving. Now, listen, it's not just giving for giving, okay? One-off givings, okay? You know, uh, like, for example, you're going through the Starbucks line and the car behind, the car in front of you buys your coffee. And you think, oh, my goodness, I, it's like a chain letter. I've got to buy the car behind me or I'll have five years of bad coffee. And, you know, and I, and I don't want that. So you, you buy theirs and they're a family of five in a van, <laughs> And you have to buy theirs uh, coffee, you know. But you don't want that five years of bad coffee. That's a one-off generosity giving moment, okay? Generosity's not that. Generosity, our giving is convenient, but generosity is consistent. Again, I use the word consistent budgeted generosity, where I'm consistently saying this is what's valuable, and I'm going to give what's valuable uh, of myself and from myself, and I'm going to budget it in. It's going to be a part of my life, like a car payment, like 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 food on the table, like clothes in the closet. It's going to be a part of me, and it's going to be generous. Giving is anyone can do. Generous few choose to do.
There's a difference between the two. Giving soothes your conscience. Think about it for a moment. All I would have to do is put on some sappy music, show you a few dogs on the screen, and then you would feel guilty that you needed to give to help the Humane Society. I'm picking on anybody in particular, but uh, you've seen those commercials where you feel like, oh, well, I need to do something. That's when you are guilted into giving. Now, listen, that just soothes your conscience. Generosity is something that stimulates joy. Stimulates joy in your life. They call it, Mike, how can you find joy? How can I find satisfaction in my life? Listen to this verse. It needs no explanation. They are being tested by many troubles. They are very poor, but they are filled with abundant joy. Wow. They're tested. They're poor. They're very poor, but they have an overflow of joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. See, generosity is not based on your income. Some people say, well, if I made more, I'd give more. Listen, it's not based on that. Generosity, listen, the person that God lifts up the highest, that Jesus lifts up the highest, is the woman who gave the least amount. But she gave everything. The widow's mite story in the Gospels. Generosity flows out of a person's heart. It doesn't flow out of somebody's wallet. That's giving. Giving has this wallet limit, these four walls. Generosity says, I'm giving as much as I can give, not as little as I can give. Paul said, Philippians chapter 4, verse 17, he says, not that I desire your gifts. Philippi was one of the churches that did support Paul. He says, not that I desire your gifts, but I desire that more credit to your account. See, God, you'll never outgive God. You've heard that before. Well, here's one of those verses. You're going to be blessed because of your generosity. A few, a few months ago, a few weeks ago, actually, it was, actually it was a few months ago. It was right at the end of the, end of the calendar year. And right before I went to, to West Africa, uh, our credit card was hacked. And uh, literally like two days before going. And, and, so it's like, okay, all of a sudden we're all in the same room and there's charges being made out in California, like instantaneously. It's like, okay, stop it. It's not us. We're all here. And uh, so they said it's a new credit card. And of course, then you got to all think about all the things that you've got automatic withdrawals from. And one of those was, uh, is, our, is our monthly giving to, to Grace Point, that we are consistent, budgeted generosity. And so I got, a, I got an email from my church, okay, this week that was a, a, a generated computer, generated email that just said, hey, well, want to let you know that we tried to process your credit card uh, as, as your contribution this, this month and it, it fell. It's like, oh, yes, I forgot to change it over. Before I spent another dime on myself, I went to the credit, I went to our online account and in two minutes, I changed it because here's, here's what my commitment is. My commitment, our commitment as a family is this. Lori's commitment for before we got married, my commitment before I got married, our 26-year commitment is this, is that we are going to give to God first. And then we'll talk about ourselves. And then we'll talk about others. We're going to put him first and foremost in our life because we have found deep abiding joy in generosity. Number three, 
Think and live with an eternal inheritance in your mind. Think big picture. Think long term. Here's the paradigm of the Western world, okay? Here's the paradigm of the Western world. Jot it down. We, this is what we do. We live as much as you can, as high as you can, as fat as you can, as wide as you can, as big as you can, as large as you can. Save a little bit because you know you're going to retire one day. And hey, if there's a special cause, give a little bit. That's kind of the American mentality. Hope that's not you, but maybe most naturally it's many people. Here's the biblical approach. You give, then you save, and you live on the rest. Flip that paradigm into where you are giving, okay, God, I'm going to be generous with what, you, what you've given me. But here's the mentality of America. We have this mentality in America of consumption assumption. That everything that I is given to me is for me to be spent on me. It's for me. And so if I have it, it's for me. If I have it, I can spend it on me. It's, my, it's about me. And here's what Jesus said. It's one of the clearest tests of our spiritual devotion and love for him. Whenever he said again in his Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6, he said this. He said, where your treasure is, your heart is. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. There's no doubt that we could take and take a financial analyst to look at your account and at your money and your spending over the course of a, a month. And in a matter of seconds, you would tell, if you wouldn't already know it, exactly where your love is, where your devotion is, what you're committed to. You can look at what you spend on first, what you spend on most. See, it's, but here, don't, don't hear this message. It's about giving. Mike's just wanting us to give. No, 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 no. If you don't belong here, you don't give your money here, okay? Please take it somewhere else. But just live a life of generosity to where you naturally give, consistently give in a budgeted manner. Or something that it's going to be a high value me. God, giving is about money. Generosity is about our hearts. Where's your heart? Let me close by telling you an amazing story of a man who led a mission movement of God. Okay, now we talk about Paul. He was a man who learned contentment, lived contentment, lived generously. I want to talk about a guy named John Wesley who led a movement that became a denomination known as the Methodist Movement. And as he is leading, and we've heard of people like Bill Gates and Melinda Gates who's, who's going to live off 2% of their income and, and give away the rest. I think it's ad- admirable. But when you say, hey, yeah, but if I'm not, I'm not Bill and Melinda Gates, take, be John Wesley for a moment. Where John Wesley had a motto, had a maxim that he lived off of. I've heard it for years, but I really never understood it until just recently. This was his maxim. Make all you can. Save all you can. And give all you can. Make all you can. Save all you can. And give all you can. And never really understood that. And until I understood and got in more into his biography. Until you understand that at the end of his life. That he gave away 30,000 pounds. Now not literally pounds. That's British pounds. Okay. Translated into American dollars today. 1.7 million dollars. He gave away. Now, 
How in the world does a person do that? Because you make all you can, you save all you can, you give all you can. And you break down his life. The journey happened for him. It started to happen when in 1731, he had this relationship conversation with God. He said, God, I will live the most basic yet sustainable life that I can live. And anything above that, God, I will be generous to your work around the world. That's what his commitment was. So the first year, he figured out he could live off of 28 pounds. Now, don't get lost in the currency exchange and in times and all that kind of stuff. He grossed 30 pounds. He gave away two pounds. Not that big of a splash, right? But remember, he made this commitment. What can I live on? I'll determine that, and then I'll give the rest away. So then the next year, it was a good year. He doubled that. So he made... 28, and he lived off of 28. He didn't adjust his standard of living. He didn't adjust the way he lived. He just lived off the 28 that he could live off of. He grossed 60. He doubled his income in a year. He gave away 32 pounds. And the next year, the Lord blessed him, and he doubled his income again. He budgeted 28 for himself. He grossed 30, he grossed 90. He gave away 62. By the end of his life, he had given away 30,000 pounds, $1.7 million, because he didn't live as an American. You live high on the hog. You save a little bit, and if there's any left over, then you might give it. He reversed it. He said, I'm going to give it away. I'm going to give it away. I'm going to save some, and I'm going to live just on what I need to live off of. Totally different paradigm. A different rhythm to the way we live our life. But one, as Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Would you bow your heads with me? Just be still in the moment, please. And think deeply about your own soul. And let me ask you this question. Where is your treasure? And does your bank account reflect that? Does your living reflect that? Because we can say it's God. We can say it's his kingdom work. Say it's the nations. We could say it, it's helping the, the poor and the needy. It's, we could say it's a lot of things. But at the end of the day, when we're going to look at our lives and we're going to balance our checkbooks, we're going to see where we're at. And this is not a ploy to get more money. This is a ploy to raise up people who live lives full of joy and satisfaction because they are living an attitude that ought to be. Lord Jesus, you know our hearts and our lives. You're looking into our souls right now. Would you show us ourselves in light of you? We can debate how much a tithe, a tithe on the gross, a tithe on the net. We can talk about tithing, Old Testament, New Testament. But Lord, it's just generosity. It's a life of generosity. Father, and I would pray that you would work in each one of us and help each of us to see are we living a life 
full of desiring more, longing for more, racing and chasing after more? Are we living a life of deep contentment, generosity, joy, and satisfaction? Lord, I pray you help us to walk and dance to a different rhythm. 